Good morning. Turn with me, please, to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. I had a hard night last night, and uh, I didn't get to sleep, uh, I didn't get much sleep. I woke up at, I think it was 11.30, then once again at 12 o'clock, and then once again at 12.30, and then once again at 1 o'clock, and then once again at 1.30, and by 2 o'clock I realized I'm not going to sleep, I might as well get up. So I don't mind losing sleep. Um, except for if it's a reason of my own doing, and I went to bed sort of out of sorts. I had a little pity party, and so I wasn't sleeping well probably because of that. And so there's nothing like the Lord getting you up to straighten out your attitude before you have to preach, and I don't mind sharing it with you. And uh, here's what he showed me. This is what brought me out of it. Now, you might be a little confused at that, but when I explain it, maybe you won't. You see, oftentimes our discouragements, perhaps light depressions, they're for little reasons, very little reasons, but in our mind they're big. In our mind, we magnify them to where like we can't enjoy anything anymore. We can't sleep at night. So I like to get up and get something to drink in the morning. And about the fourth or fifth time, the Lord finally got my attention. Look what you're drinking, Eric. And then, you know... I have never been more keenly aware of body life, perhaps, than I am at this stage in my life, how important the body is. And perhaps you don't realize what a place that you play in the body of Christ. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of the body. You're part of the body here at Calvary. You're part of the fellowship of the saints. And whether you realize it or not, you can be used to minister to someone and never even know it. So I want to share something with you, and I'll give credit where credit is due. It was Andy Goodwin that told me about this, and he probably doesn't realize how many times it's spoken to me since then. So I thank you, brother. Um, Opening this up, getting it out of the fridge, a nice, cool drink of orange juice. And then what Andy mentioned to me in the past was brought to my mind. How many kings in this book, royal, honorable men, The richest men we can imagine, even Solomon, never knew what it was like to get up out of bed and go to a refrigerator and take a drink of a juice that was squeezed from a fruit that came from another continent. How many kings in this book never had the luxurious chariots that we have as we get into our car and we go home today, complete with air conditioning, heater in the wintertime? You probably not like, might, like this, might not like this one, but how many kings getting up in the middle of the night have an indoor bathroom that not only flushes it out of the house, perhaps if you have a power flusher, it flushes it down the block. No king in centuries past in this book has ever lived in the luxury that we live in. On top of that, the more significant truth that we have, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of our souls. We have a hope, a sure confidence of life much better than what we have here. I really have nothing to complain about, nothing to be sour about, nothing to be out of sorts about. And it just took a couple of drinks from this every half an hour till I finally got the message. <laughs> and what encourages my soul is I thought I was going to say, well, this came from Florida. But I've already showed a couple individuals, this is concentrate 
from Brazil and the United States. So the Lord used this in my life. And so it's my desire and my goal that you leave this morning. If you're discouraged, that you're encouraged. Perhaps you might be challenged. Perhaps you might find some tools to make your life victorious throughout this next week and on. I'm not going to say anything new because this is as old as truth is old. But perhaps blending it in a new fashion, you might get something out of it. I was reading in Judges chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, now these, now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formally. These nations are five lords of the Philistines. And all of the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon, as far as Lebo Hamath, they were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. See, the Lord promised Israel the promised land. And when Joshua went in there with the Israelites, they conquered many nations, many kings. But there was still some left, and the Lord did that on purpose. And you wonder, well, why? Well, the Lord answers why. He left them to test the sons of Israel, that they might learn war. And um, we read in verse 5, the sons of Israel lived in, among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. They failed the test. They compromised. So I, I asked myself, why do we have such difficulties in this life? And, and the same response comes. It's a test. We're being tested. The Lord was testing the nation of Israel. And I asked myself this question. And a lot of questions can be answered with Scripture. Did the Lord not know what was in the hearts of the Israelites? Did the Lord not know what's in our hearts? Of course he does. He knows all things. He doesn't test us to find information. He has all the information. So why does he test us, and why did he test them? The obvious conclusion and answer would be to show them what was in their hearts and to show us what's in our hearts. And I think I could say that throughout my Christian life, it's been my experience that year by year, the Lord unfolds one more fold, one more recess in the deep, dark, sinful heart of mine so that he could show me what's there and so that I could drag it out and confess it and say, Lord, free me from it. I don't want to be in under bondage to that sin. But it's things that I never knew about when I first got saved. When I first got saved, it was the easy things. Stop swearing. I didn't even stop. It just stopped. The Lord stopped it. <laughs> stopped my mouth, you know? Return that which you stole. That's easy. But selfishness, self-pity, you know? Whining and crying, that's hard to root out. <laughs> um, and so the Lord uh, left it there. He left two natures, a new nature and an old nature. And we struggle throughout our Christian lives. Why? Why? I believe that it's so that we learn to hate the old nature as God hates it. To have victory over it in Christ as he wants us to have. And makes heaven that much more precious. And that's so we can help others in their struggles. But there's not going to be an end to it in this life. 
We are at war, and we will continue to be at war, not with others around us, chiefly inside. So the question is, how are we going to deal with that? And I hope to give you uh, some tools, as I have found, um, being tested. It's not just confined to the Old Testament. You remember Peter? Everybody remembers Peter. Do you remember that he was tested? And I find it very encouraging and interesting because the Lord warned him ahead of time. And throughout the, the, the scriptures, I mean, the Lord warned Cain. He said, sin is crouching at, it, at, at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. The Lord warns ahead of time. And he warned Peter ahead of time. I'm going to read that. And I believe he warned, he's warned our, this assembly about even things we're going through even now. Simon, Simon, it says in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So we see the warning. The test was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ encouraged Peter. He was praying for him. But within the end of the verse, you see the indication, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brother. There's the implication that he's going to fail the test. But God's going to use even that failure to glorify himself and use that experience in Peter's life that he might encourage others that would also be tested. You know, I've heard recently uh, a couple of times, um, you don't know how I feel. Through, through people that are going through extreme difficulties in their lives. And I am so glad it did not fall on deaf ears, the response that I believe is from the Lord. You're right. I don't know how you feel, but I know someone that does. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows exactly what you're you going through. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows the solution. So we need to remember that. The Lord wants to use us once we have turned, once we gain victory. And he said to him, and this is what Peter proclaimed, Lord, with you I'm ready to bo- go to both prison and to death. And he, said, and, I, and he said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times, denied that you know me. So here Peter is, I'm ready to go to death, to prison. You know, I love the Lord with all my heart. How many times have I heard that? How many times have I deceived myself with that same thought? I love the Lord with my whole heart. And I feel like the Lord's saying, oh yeah, well let me show you a little bit of your heart. (laughs) And then I'm going, wow, how shallow my love is for the Lord. We shouldn't be ashamed for the Lord to show us the shallowness of our faith. It's his process of building our faith. (laughs) But we still hear it, people that proclaim how great their faith is, how much they love the Lord. And yet the lesson here with Peter, perhaps is lost at this time in their lives, denying the Lord. And as I survey my life, I find that there's many ways to deny the Lord. It's not just, I don't know him. It's just, I don't obey him. If Jesus is Lord, and he died for me, that I might freely receive eternal life. And it says, if one died for all, Then he died so that we will no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was living my life heading down the course of life, 
making my own decisions, having a great old time. Until the Lord showed me the direction I was heading and the end of that road, it was eternal damnation. It was hell. I was heading straight toward hell. As a matter of fact, I had a motorcycle with a devil on the tank that said hellbound. And I just laughed it off like everyone usually does. That's where I was heading. The Lord was showing that's the end of your choice. That's the end of your course. So when I was offered an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, the most logical conclusion to me is now he can run my life. And he can pick the course. And he can direct me. And how naive I was to think, and I said this, you mean all I have to do is do what the Lord says? Oh, great, that's easy. Wow, was I naive. (laughs) Was I naive. But really, that's what is required. Do what the Lord wants. He only wants your best. He knows you inside not better than you know yourself. And I'm reminded of, of a time... And you've heard this before, probably when I, my mother would buy us presents, and she, always, she made uh, a promise never to buy us clothes for, for Christmas. <laughs> so I, I didn't know what I wanted, so I just left it with her. You just buy something. I know you'll get something that's good for me, you know? So surprise me. I just ran out of things to ask for. Not that I had all those things. It's just I was, ran out of things. You know what she got me? You don't remember? I think I've told it before. She got me a typewriter. Typewriter. You know, I regret asking her that or telling her that until I got to high school and college where I realized how good it would be to be able to type as fast as Don types, (laughs) you know. But she got something that was good for me. And had I accepted it with that attitude, it would have really put me in good stead. But the Lord has so much more for us, so much better plans for us than we have for ourselves. And when when we choose our own way, when we take controls of the steering wheel and I want to go over here, what we're doing is we're circumventing his plan for our life, his perfect plan for our life. And what we don't realize at the time we're grabbing that steering wheel is that we're going to steer ourselves toward regret. We're going to steer ourselves toward misery. We're going to steer ourselves to the point where we're out of control and we say, Lord, take it back until the next time we feel like taking it again. And it shouldn't be like that. And and what it really is saying and what it really is demonstrating is a lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in who he is, in his love for us. And it is denying the Lord, his place in our life. When we don't trust him, when we fear, when we're anxious, when he says, do not be anxious, we're denying the Lord. There's many ways to deny the Lord. And in Matthew 26, we find... The sad story of Peter's denial of the Lord. He even denied the Lord with cursing and swearing. Cursing and swearing. And that's very sad. And yet, I find that's not a big, as big a tragedy as it is in my life when I deny the Lord. Because I rarely deny the Lord out of fear. Peter most likely denied the Lord out of fear for his life. When I, deny the Lord, when I deny the Lord, it's not out of fear for my life. It's out of desire for some uh, experience or some luxury or something that, that panders to my self-importance. There's things I really don't need and I don't fear for my life. So I, I think my denying the Lord is worse than Peter's when I do that. And I don't realize the untold effect it has on those around me. On those people that know that I'm a Christian because I've witnessed to them, 
I've shared the gospel to, uh, with them. And then they see me acting in this way or that way. And I'm thinking, wow, what a, what a contradiction. What must they think? That guy's a Christian? Look at him. He's worried about the economy. <laughs> he doesn't care about the election. You know, I mean, a, a multitude of things. People are watching us. Not only people, but other Christians, younger Christians. How does he act? He's known the Lord for 31 years. How is he acting? Is he trusting the Lord or is he denying the Lord? Those things come to my attention. And so our lives really are important. How did Peter get to that place? I think most of you that know the story know. It says in verse 58, when the Lord was arrested, Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance. What does following at a distance represent? It doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to, to think what following at the distance is. When I first came to know the Lord, I saw the Lord everywhere. And I'm not talking about seeing visions. I just saw the hand of the Lord. I was so excited because he was showing himself the reality of himself to me in ways that were just so obvious to me that I, I've never seen the presence of the Lord like that before. In answer to prayer, Direct answer to prayer. Uh, and I can tell you stories, and, and those that know the Lord can tell you stories too. And it seems as though the, the Lord takes a special interest in new Christians to show and reveal himself to them. He's no less present in my life and your life if you know him. And yet as we get older, he expects our faith to grow to the point where we don't need that every hour, every day. He expects, since he's shown those things to us, that we've grown and matured to the point where we can go weeks and months, and some people, perhaps they're in Muslim lands that go, go years without a seeming uh, indication of the Lord's presence. It's their faith that's holding on. And that's precious in the sight of God. It says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we're talking about faith here. Faith. Peter's faith failed at this point, and ours does too, if we're honest. Whether it does in a moment, whether it does in a week, a week-long episode, whether it does in something that I'm refusing to obey the Lord in, it's a failure, failure of our faith. And we're doomed to be brought low if we really know the Lord, because he disciplines those that he loves. And as an elder, as one of four elders, um, we really feel it when someone is brought low in the assembly. Because if one member suffers, we all suffer. And our heart goes out to those individuals. And we pray and we fast for those individuals that are going through that. He denied them saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And then he says, I don't know the man. And then he denied him with cursing and swearing. And when he went out, the Lord looked at him turned back and looked at him, and he went out weeping. Weeping because he denied the very one that died to buy him. How convinced are you that Jesus died for you? That's a, that's a good question to ponder. How convinced am I of that? If I believe that Jesus died for me, then there's no one on earth that has my best interest greater than his, not even me. 
Not even me. So does my life show it? Does my life show it? Resisting the Spirit of God in my life or in the life of others. That can be denying the Lord. Denying the Lord. I've done that in my life. I have to confess, and I regret it. And I've had to drag it out and confess it before the Lord. It says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. This life is a test. It really is. One day, one day, eternity is going to break upon all of us. Whether it's a day where you go to meet the Lord or whether it's the day the Lord comes back, it's going to break upon every single one of us. And in that day, we're going to see reality more clear than we ever think we see reality now. And we're going to look back and we're going to know, that was a test. How well did I do? (laughs) How well did I do? And there are opportunities we have in this life at this time that we'll never have for all eternity. And that's to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord in spite of my experience, in spite of another person's actions, in spite of the evidence that seems to say the Lord doesn't care. (laughs) All we have to do is come Sunday morning and remember him at the cross. We don't have to wait till Sunday. And that exposes that lie. He does care for us. But are we living like it? If we're at war, are we going forward? Are we retreating? Are we hunkering down like some of the pictures I've seen in World War I? Dig a foxhole and just hunker down for the next three weeks to a month while you're being shelled. The Lord gained the victory. And he's given us the power to go forward. But we have to trust him by faith. We have to trust him. And we have to stick together. We really do. The Lord calls us a body, local body here at Calvary. You know? and, and I know that people that know me, they know me. <laughs> they know my weaknesses. They know my besetting sins. And I'm no better than anyone else. But I take great comfort in that. You know, I'm ashamed of those things, yes, but I take great comfort that those that know me and are spiritual love me and they pray for me. And I'm going to give you a little secret that I have that um, hasn't kept me from the test, it hasn't kept me from the difficulties, but it's kept me from bailing out. And I've seen in my Christian life, and those that know the Lord longer than I have can attest to this even more so, there are people that they've suffered shipwreck of their faith, because they bailed out. They bailed out. I don't want to do that. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Lord warns us. He hasn't bound Satan yet. He prowls around, looking for the weak. Looking for the weak in faith that he might devour them, that they might be neutralized for the cause of Christ, that their joy of salvation might be robbed, that they might not see the Lord as clearly in their lives. And he warns us ahead of time, right here in Scripture. So what are we doing to protect ourselves? I mean, he gives us the solution. He gives us the armor. We're going to read through that. You've read through it lots of times, but I hope it will take on more meaning for us, and we're going to follow up with that, something that helps me out a lot. But he prowls about like a roaring lion. Now, as elders, we, we look over the flock. Um, 
under shepherds, the Lord shows us things. And, and, and the brothers can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, it seems as though attacks come in, in different areas. I can remember when the greater attacks came. I mean, Satan attacks at the building block of our society and our assembly, and that's families, right? I can remember when attacks came quite frequently, and they were aimed toward children, to our young. I, I can remember the difficulty of having to put my own child out of fellowship in faith, trusting that that was the best for him because the Lord guiding us to do it. I can remember my daughter sitting there when we got the medical report that she had a tumor on her spine. And we were looking at that she was going to have open spine surgery, a possibility of her being paralyzed. My biggest concern is, Heidi, how are you with the Lord? And she says, I'm good, Dad. And in my mind, what she probably doesn't know is I was thinking, is God going to call me to minister to a paralyzed daughter for the rest of my life? Eric, can you do that for me? Yeah, Lord, I can do that. Because that's what you call me to do. You know, a lot of times we already decide in our minds what I will do and what I won't do. Oh, I won't do that. Oh, I will do that. I would never want to do that. Well, I have one. Uh, we, we have to add to that. And this is it. What if it's the Lord's will for you to do that? You know? Recently, um, I, I, I've never had bad health. The Lord's blessed me with good health. But about a month ago, for the past three months, my blood pressure has gone up higher than it's ever been, even past the point where most doctors would recommend medication. So I'm thinking, well, man, what am I doing? Do I have to stop drinking those energy drinks, you know? <laughs> okay, maybe I do. <laughs> do I have to get exercise? Maybe the exercise that I normally get relieves a lot of the stress that I've been going through at work, you know? Um, so, you know, you try these different things. But then you're faced, well, what if I'm going to have to be on medication? You know, the biggest fear is I'm going to be on it for the rest of my life. I hear people say that. I'm not afraid of that, you know? The question is, is that what God wants? It's not what I do, what I'm afraid to do. It's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? You want me to do it? Just make it clear and I'll do it. That's the proper answer. That's the answer of faith. And if that happens, you can hold me accountable that I have that attitude. <laughs> but so far it's going down, so I'm happy about that. What does the Lord want of you? If Heidi was paralyzed from that tumor down, I would consider it a joy. If that's what God wants me to do, that's what he's calling me to do. I'm going to do it with my whole heart. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> the proof is in the testing. And that's why he sends us tests. You know. I took a vow that I would care for my wife in sickness and in health. It's easy to vow that. What happens when something happens? <laughs> There's the test. There's the test. Okay. She's vowed the same thing. Could just as easily happen to me. The Lord tests us to show us what's in our heart. And it's his desire that we come out victorious. And so, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Are we looking on time? No, thanks. Um, you know, we can go to Ephesians 6, and, and, and we have here the armor that the Lord gives us. It says, finally, in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be, able to may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So the Lord gives us armor, and it's a full outfit. It's missing nothing. Okay? And I'm not going to go deep into those pieces of armor, but I just want to say that the Lord will never, ever 
lead you into or allow you to be tested beyond what you're able and beyond what he's given you protection for, ever. And the times that we get discouraged and we feel it's more than we can bear, it feels real, but we're not trusting the Lord by faith in that, hey, I can handle this. Why? Because the Lord is my strength. Because he's given me everything I need to handle it, and I can be victorious. You see, but sometimes our faith wavers. That's when we pray that your faith doesn't waver. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us that example. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And in the end, Peter repented, was restored, and he could minister to people in a way none of the other disciples could because the Lord ministered to him in that special way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I confess, there seems to be a hierarchy there, and I'm not going to get into it because I don't understand it all that well, but I know one thing, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And I've suffered from depression before, and I won't claim that it's anything major, but it sure seemed like that to me. And it lasted two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month. But I'll tell you when I had victory over it. I can tell you the moment I had victory over it. You know when it was? When I realized it was a spiritual battle. Before that, I was just feeling dumped down. Before that, I was feeling complaining about this, complaining about that. And then I felt, you know, I wasn't bouncing back. And it took a little while to get through this thick skull of mine that, hey, this is a spiritual battle. Oh, now I get it. Okay, I'm not going to lose this one. And that brought me out of it, just knowing it was a spiritual battle. With this verse in mind, and I give glory to the Lord, he gives the strength. So if you're going through any difficulties, realize that we are at war, and it's a spiritual warfare. And oftentimes we can't understand these things. We need to trust the Lord, put on the armor of God, and have victory. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the evil, resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, the enemies, he's sitting back, and he's taking pot shots at us, those flaming missiles. And it's the shield of faith that can protect us from those. I like the mention of the gospel here, because we have to ask ourselves, why are we left here? (laughs) One big, huge reason is that the gospel will go out. I'm here because the Lord left someone here to tell me about him. First thought on my mind as soon as I got saved is, wow, I don't have to continue to go to school. I don't even have to continue living. I can go to heaven right now. Boy, was I called into check. Rick Bella said, where would you be if I, if I had that same thought? And, I, and I, I went that road when I got saved. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I got, okay, I get that. The Lord wants me to stick around to tell others about him so that they might be saved. Because that's what's in the balance here. It's not just us. It's not just our state of mind. It's not just our happiness as we trod this path here on earth. There's lost souls all around us. And there's an eternity before them. And the only solution is the Savior we know. And so that we need to keep that in mind. Souls are at stake. Souls are at stake. Okay, so 
How do I respond? How do I respond when the Lord is telling me to do something or not do something? You know, the Lord has the best, our best interest in mind. He has the perfect plan. What keeps me from doing His plan? Well, the first thing that's really obvious, and I probably have a stronger one of these than yours, and that's probably why I've needed a lot more correction than you need, is a strong self-will. You know, if you've got a strong self-will and you've decided to do something the Lord doesn't want you to do, He can break that will. <laughs> or worse, He can give you what you want and send leanness of soul. That's scary. That's scary. If you want something bad enough, He just might let you have it. But with it will come misery. It's not His best. And so you need, to, you need to learn to recognize when you're exerting your self-will in a matter. That's, that's one, of, one of the keys to a victorious Christian life. Realize when you're exerting your self-will to do or not do something the Lord's calling you to do. I can remember times where he was, he was calling me to witness to a guy on a bench. And I had witnessed it all afternoon on the campus. And I thought, Lord, I'm done. I'm tired. Maybe tomorrow. I, every step I took was heavier and heavier. Every step. Until I finally said, Lord, okay, you have your way. I'm going to go talk to him. Give me a sentence that's not going to be awkward. And it turns out the guy was running from his life, for his life from gangs in L.A. And before he left, he had Christians trying to reach out to him with the gospel. So how crucial was it that a person shared the gospel with him? It was as crucial as the message is, listen, no matter where you run, I still love you and I still want you. And I got a feeling I'll see that guy in heaven. He didn't accept the Lord that night, but I got a feeling I'll see him in heaven because of how important it was that he hear a word of testimony that night that the Lord would not let me take another step further until I deviated my path to do his will. It's hard the way of a transgressor. It's hard to go against the Lord. And how happy I was when I laid my head down on my pillow that night thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you that you got through this thick thing here. <laughs> Self-will. Self-will. Now, there's a verse that you've, if you've talked to me very much, you know that I, I say it a lot, and it's because I find it such a challenge for me. And this is the verse. It's in Jeremiah 17, 9. Because, you know, I have two natures. God's given me a new nature when I got saved, and I have the old nature, and he's seen fit to leave them together to teach me the difference and which one to choose. And... Um, and there's this verse that really reminds me of life for me sometimes when there's the battle. Because when it, when I can tell when I'm if I can tell when I'm exerting my self-will, well, that's easy. I'm doing it because I know I want to. I know the Lord doesn't want me to, so I just need to re, you know, repent. Okay? But here's a verse that says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You've probably heard me quote that verse before because it's such a favorite verse of mine because it's protected me through the years, basically because I apply that verse to myself. Not your hearts, my heart. <laughs> my heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can't even understand this heart of mine. It can fool me. It can deceive me. It can deceive me into thinking that this is God's will when it's not. That's, that's scary, isn't it? That's scary. And, and in some cases, you could put your life on the line thinking that way, and you could die. So how do I deal with that? How do I deal with that? 
Well, I think God gives us a safeguard here. And, and it's built into this section in Ephesians 5 after the warfare, or maybe even before the warfare verses. And, and you may have never looked at, at them that way before, but I think, I think it's good. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. We all know that verse, right? We know what it means. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be, uh, husband, uh, be to their husbands in everything. And then it says in verse 53, under the husband's part, there's a mention of something about the wives. Let, this, let the wife see, that, see to it that she respects her husband. Okay, so we have this verse here that it, it, it addresses husbands. It addresses, we're going to address husbands, wives, husbands, and children. And even it goes on to uh, uh, slaves and masters, which to me speaks of employers and employees. Husbands, it says, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. And then children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So we have those verses and we usually apply them where they ought to be applied. And if I'm a husband, I ought to love my wife. And for me, that means certain things. For me, that means... I hold down a regular job. I hold on a regular job so that I could supply for the needs of my wife and others. That means when I get up, 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, when I don't feel like it, I'm up. Nobody has to tell me to get up. She certainly doesn't have to tell me to get up, and that's a burden she shouldn't carry. I go to work. I bring home a paycheck. Okay? Um, I'm to speak kindly with her. And I have to confess I've failed it at times on that one. <laughs> I'm to understand her weaknesses and her needs. I'm to minister to those. More important, I'm to love the Lord and follow the Lord so I can be a spiritual leader in the home. And, and, and I'm not claiming victory in all these areas all the time. You know me better than that. But I know what I'm supposed to do. And I know when I don't do that, I'm failing. And I think that's the beginning, knowing what I'm supposed to do. Learning to recognize when I'm not doing it. And sometimes it doesn't come at the moment. It might come that, that evening. It might come ten minutes later, five minutes later. But being humble enough before the Lord to say, I've failed. And to apologize. Wives, love your husbands and respect your husbands. And sometimes that could be hard to do. I look at myself in the mirror and think, well, I, I'm, I could be a hard guy to love. <laughs> yeah. But the Lord doesn't make conditions. The Lord says, love your wives when they're treating you good. No, well, I know that's proper English, but love your wives regardless. Doesn't matter how they act, love them. And Christ is the example. And I, and I ask myself this question, when does the Lord love me? Only when I'm acting right? Only when I'm coming to Sunday worshiping Him? Only when I'm in obedience to Him? He loved me when I was an enemy of His. When I was bent on doing as much evil as I could just for the fun of it. He died for me. That's the example. That's a pretty tall order. And wives, love your husbands. <laughs> that can be pretty hard to do, but there's no conditions, no qualifiers. It says Sarah called her husband Lord. 
Wow. So you know what that takes to do that? And it says, children, obey your, your parents, honor your parents. You know what it takes to do that? Five-letter word, faith. It takes faith. It takes faith to obey me. I'm a part of my wife. You know why? It takes faith seeing God behind me. It sees faith that God is able to lead and guide her even through a flawed vessel like me. And wives, if you're waiting for your husbands to be perfect to follow that one, you're going to be waiting until the Lord comes back. And then you won't have to. So I don't know, maybe that's your plan. Same thing, husbands. Love your wives. Love your wives. See to it that that's an expression to the world of Christ's love for you and to the, of the church. When people see you loving your wives and treating them like the world doesn't, they stand up and take notice. I tell my class, I've been married 26 years, and I have to say, I'll say this, to, uh, you know, I call my students to testify before you today. I tell them, it only gets better. And they say, well, why? Well, one, because I know the Lord and she knows the Lord, and two, we work on it. And we have our ups and downs, but it, it, it you know, 59 years, it's better, right? That's the Lord's plan. Okay, so, but, but the point I want to make here is this. If my heart's deceitful, and I can't even know it, and it could deceive me, what safeguard do I have that the way I'm thinking is correct? And we have it right here in these verses, you know? And, um, and other, other verses tell us about it. With wise counsel thou wilt guide me, and afterwards receive me to glory. The way, of fool is right, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. God puts a premium on those that seek counsel. He guides them. It says in Isaiah 50, 11, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire. Here's people that, you know, they don't want to uh, look to the Lord for illumination, look to counsel. What they're going to do is light their own torches, set them up, and they're going to light their own way. You see, they, they look to themselves for answers and for guidance. Walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand, and you will lie down in torment. You see, that's what the world does. The world seeks its wisdom, not from God, but itself. They light their own firebrands, their own beacons, their own torches, and they walk among those torches as if that's true light. It's not. God is the one who gives wise counsel, and he, and he, and he gives us a structure here. It, it, children, there's no one that cares for your best interest under the Lord more than your parents. Now, you might doubt that, but you're doubting God's word. That's what God sets up. They're going to seek to give you counsel in the fear of the Lord that's best for you. And I guarantee you, if they give you bad counsel and you follow it, you'll receive the blessing of the Lord because you're obeying the Lord. Same thing with wives. If you're unsure, if you think maybe your heart's deceiving you, seek counsel from your husband. He's going to get on his knees before the Lord. And he's going to seek to give you wise counsel. And if he's in doubt... You know what he's going to do? He's going to seek the Lord through the elders. <laughs> because he wants to give wise counsel. 
and elders, who do they go to? Well, of course we go to the Lord, but we go to one another. I seek counsel from Howard, from Don, from Charlie, because I don't trust myself. I have a healthy distrust of my deceitful heart. And I don't always remember that right away, so I'm not claiming to be like you know, Johnny on the spot. But sooner or later, the Lord gets through. Hey, Eric, why don't you ask somebody? And then after that, hey, why don't you listen to them? You know, and, and other people can see it perhaps faster than I can. But there's a safeguard there, a safeguard against me deceiving myself. And as a result, praise be to God, and thank you, brothers and sisters, for praying for me and those that I look to, but I have not yet suffered shipwreck in my spiritual life. I'm still here. You're still here. Seek counsel. Go according to God's guidelines. You will have a blessing from God just because you did it God's way. He'll make sure of that. I guarantee it. And if you're going through difficulties and challenges in your life, when you seek counsel, that gives us fodder for prayer, accurate, specific prayer, because we are praying for you. Because we're a body here, and we're together, and the Lord's left us here together for a purpose. We want to function like the Olympians that we see if you're watching the Olympics. You know, those people discipline themselves, and especially I always enjoy watching the gymnastics. You know, what they can do with their bodies under discipline and training. Think of what God could do in this body if we're united, we're together. If we're listening to our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're functioning as he wants. He can do glorious things, and we're we're ready to to fly, (laughs) you know? Um... In times past, I remember Gene Gibson coming to Koinonia, and he mentioned that Satan attacks families. He can't get you any other way. He's going to try to get you through your family. And at that time, it seemed to be the children that were the center of attack. I think right now it's couples. It's the heart of the family, husbands and wives. And so I hope if you perceive that, you're like me. Once you perceive where the attack's coming from, you can shore that up with the armor of God. And if in anything... Come to us and let us know how we can pray for you. How we can pray for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we oftentimes forget that we're in a war. And it's a spiritual war. And yet you've prepared us. You've given us the armor that we need and and the strategy whereby we can have victory. And I confess oftentimes I'm a little lazy about getting in the fight. Lord, I just pray that you take away that laziness. I pray for anyone that's going through a spiritual battle right now in their own personal life, that they might seek counsel, that they might seek prayer partners, and that they might have their eyes fixed on you, Lord. And they might shore up their faith, Lord. We pray for them, Lord, um, that once they have turned from the difficulty, they can strengthen others, Lord. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm not done yet. Because I remember I wanted to close with this. Um, those that know me know I'm not really into sports. <laughs> okay. And I, I was just thinking of how wonderful it is sometimes to be in the passenger seat. You know, I drive a lot, you know, and, and I don't mind driving. But, uh, and sometimes when I'm in the passenger seat, I'm sort of calling shots where the driver should go. But <laughs> when I say driver's seat, I mean when the Lord's in control and you just leave it to Him. And I had an experience like that. It was, uh, it was Friday. And it was the, uh, the baseball game, the Giants Stadium, the Giants against the Dodgers. I don't go to baseball games. 
I don't have time for baseball games. I'm not interested in baseball games, and I'm a little bit impatient with the baseball games. But this particular baseball game was the focus of a bachelor party for my, Lord willing, future son-in-law. And so I, my ticket was bought graciously by his father. And I was fighting this one because I really didn't want to go because I'm looking, it's in San Francisco, it's on Friday, I'm going to be battling traffic, you know, and I don't want to be there and every inning I'm going to say, is this over yet, is this over yet, is this over yet, you know? I could, say I, was, I could see I was already developing a bad attitude. I'm thinking, well, that's not good. The Lord doesn't want me to have a bad attitude. And they're being very gracious in including me. And so we meet over there at uh, the Marina Inn in the parking lot, and all these young guys are there, and I don't know any of them. I'm going, now I feel awkward. I don't know anybody. I know, I know Robert. So I'm waiting for his dad to come. And finally, his dad came, and I, I know him. Good, I know two people. And my son, Andy, was there. But um, I decided I was going to drive because if I want to go early, I'd have to have my vehicle there, right? So Greg went with Andy and I in my truck, and we're driving, and I'm talking with Greg, and I had the sweetest fellowship with Greg Brown, you know, just, I'm thinking, I, I thank the Lord that he was there, because I was enjoying, we have a lot in common, he's in construction, I'm in construction, he knows the Lord, I know the Lord, he has a son, I have a daughter, and they sort of like each other, right? <laughs> so, but I felt like I was in the passenger seat, I said, Lord, okay, I know I have a bad attitude, can you correct my attitude? Now, I, I'm not interested in having a good time. I just don't want to spoil anybody else's good time. So call, hold me in check here. And so next thing you know, I was enjoying my conversation with, um, with uh, Robert's father, Greg. And next thing you know, I get in the carpool lane because we've got three people, and I buzz past the carpool lane, and I didn't have a fast track. I'm going, oh, no, here we go. I'm going to get fined for this, right? But then I just shrugged that off because I knew the Lord wanted me there. I didn't have a way out. He wants me here. So we go in the stadium, and I tell you one thing, it's like there was 41,000 people in that stadium. It was like every attraction you can imagine is in the area of lights, in the area of uh, uh, figures, baseball mitts the size of this room kind of thing, you know, and Coke bottles and, and smells from all the food they were cooking there. And, um, and I'm going, wow, this thing is like just attacking all your senses at once, you know. It's like, whoa, you know, and there's like 41,000 people there. And there's the crowd down there. We're in the bleachers. i tell you one thing. Those were comfortable bleachers. But they were bleachers, right? And so you see these people dressed up like clowns, you know, in orange-colored things, you know? And they're hollering and screaming, and they're just like... And, uh, and they have this scoreboard that's showing, like, they have this... Uh, I don't know what it was, but they were showing couples. And when you're a couple, and they, they zoom in on you with the camera, you see, you see... If you notice the scoreboard, there's that big... I don't know what it's called... You see up there, and you're supposed to kiss your, your wife or whatever. And so some people didn't see it, some people did. So it was really, I, I could see that they'd never let a moment go by where you weren't entertained. You know, the people were coming out for another inning. There was still a little time lapse. There was a little cart going around, and this mascot was throwing out T-shirts and balls as they were going around the stadium. And I'm thinking, there's not a moment go by where they don't, where they want to lose your attention. They want to keep it captivated. That was the whole experience. So people go to it because it's an experience. Those tickets, the cheapest tickets to that game were $55. There were 41,000 people there. That's a minimum of $2 million just for that event. That's not counting the food. Oh, and if you want to park there? I mean, if you want to drive? <laughs> One of the guys in our crew were going, well, we should have drove closer. It was only $10 more. Oh, 40 instead of 30? You know, it's like, wow, people spend this much money for this experience, you know? And so I got a chance to talk to Greg, and, and I was really careful because he likes baseball. And he sacrificed to take me there. And there's a heart of gold there, and I love that. 
And so I want to be very careful about my criticism about all this money that's spent all this. You're making somebody rich, and it's, you know, somebody that, you know, shouldn't be rich. I don't know. But um, I thought, you know, Greg, I said, if you're a Christian here and you come to this, you can enjoy it. But just think of the, among 41,000, most of the people here are dying or are going to die a Christless eternity that are being distracted by what the world has to offer in all its glitz, in all its entertainment. They don't know the Lord. I said, and, and when I come to a crowd like this, this is what I see. Entertaining the masses so they can be ushered into hell. You know? And he took it well because we're Christians. We can enjoy a game. But look at all the lost souls there. That's why the Lord left us here. It's the lost souls, you know? And if I start concentrating on my problems and be depressed over my problems, how am I going to re- reach those lost souls? What kind of testimony am I going to be? God wants us to have victory that souls are saved so that heaven is filled up with more than 41,000 fans that put on crazy clothes. So I just want to close with that. Thank you very much.